0: This podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my 43 years of nursing experience to help you understand what happens at the end of life. Because the more you know, the better prepared you are to make difficult decisions.
0: And after all that, I'm Charlie (laughs) Navarrete.
1: Well, Charles. So, please relax, get yourself a beverage, something to eat, maybe some tea and pie. And thank Mm -hmm. you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me. In the first half, we have our recipe of the week from Charlie. In the second half, I'm going to be talking about near-death awareness at the end of life. And in our third half, Charlie reports about Italian folk sayings on death. So you know what, Charlie? I saw a really good movie this week. Have you seen Abdul and the Queen, or the Queen and Abdul? I don't know which way it goes.
0: Um, no.
1: Or Kareem Abdul and the, Kareem, and the Queen? Back on it. It's you mean about the
0: ball, the ball player Kareem Abdul Jabbar.
1: No, 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 no. It's supposed. It's a true story about yeah. this Eastern Indian working class guy who gets asked to take this coin uh-huh. to, um, I don't know if this is some celebration for the queen, Elizabeth, you know, this is back in 1890, whatever, or yeah, I guess it was me, 1890, whatever. And um, they pick him because he's tall. They wanted someone tall. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. so they send him off to England to present this, coin and he's told don't look at the queen, don't ever turn your back on the queen, you know, all these rules and as he gives her presents her the coin and he's backing away, he kind of looks up and they catch each other's eye and he gets oh. this little cute little smile on his face and she decides that she likes him and, you know, has him
2: come I in did,
0: Yes, with Queen Victoria What's the name Victoria. of it? Oh shoot! I did see. I saw it when it came out. I it was delightful. Yes, I, it was wonderful. I rem, yes, I do remember that. Yes, I did see it.
1: Yeah. So what but is I, I it?
0: But I don't. I don't remember, I don't remember the name. I of
1: think it, it's so. Kareem. Kareem and the Queen, or I, I'm being I'm being so very yeah. helpful to our listeners. But look up something with a queen in it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For everyone and listening. And, uh, who, uh, uh,
1: and who plays the Queen? It's um De, is it uh uh Judy Dench or
0: You know what? It might be it might be Judy Dench. yes.
1: Yes. And it is just this wonderful Or, you know what?
0: or maybe I'm thinking of Judy Dench playing Queen Elizabeth. I, I don't you know what folks we'll find the link and we'll post it on the <laughs> on the website. <laughs> you know, you're but but you know,
1: you know, Albert has died. She's been in mourning all this time. She all she just, you know, she's like she just w- wants to go back to her room. She has to go to all these different right, events right. and she doesn't want yeah. to. And just this relationship with with this man in terms of he teaches her about India and about being a Muslim and about all kinds of things. And um she just comes back to life right, when right. he's around. And, you know, and he truly likes her. And yeah. she um, she can feel that, and you see that in their relationship. It's just really, it's one of those, I don't want to call it a feel-good movie, but it was kind of a feel-good movie, you
0: know. Well, you remember, I won't give anything away, but you remember what happens when she dies.
1: Yeah, but up but until then. Up that,
0: but, but leading up, <laughs> but leading up to all that.
1: that. yeah.
0: before <laughs> that. <laughs> before that little caveat, the yes. Um, oh, no, yeah, no, it's delightful. Yes, absolutely.
1: And Bertie, the son who goes on to be king, is not portrayed very nicely. I just wanted to slap him a few times. So. There's my movie recommendation. (laughs) I dare you to find it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'll find it. It's not a problem. Oh, Um, no, not not
1: you, our listeners. Oh. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it's like, good old, what's his name? Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, but I had the idea, right? So, Charlie. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh
1: What's our recipe this week?
0: disaster. So our recipe yeah. this week is chicken broth with flaked chicken breast meat. Now, Marianne, um, what I'm not sure, though, is that is this regular corn flakes or sugar-frosted flakes?
1: Um, I think it's regular flaked chicken flakes.
0: Well, well, let's, 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 let's take a look at the recipe and uh, see what we got here. So uh, before World War II, it was the custom in Italy to prepare chicken soup on the day of a funeral. Generally, the soup was prepared by close relatives of the bereaved family. However, as chicken meat was wide, was relatively expensive at the time, not everyone could afford to make it. So those who could not afford to make chicken soup with flaked chicken breast meat, sometimes considered the best part of the chicken, and store-bought pastina, store-bought pasta and the store-bought Pastina had more status than that made it home. So, you know, for a funeral, the cook would add, you know, store-bought pastina rather than make it herself. Huh. Go figure. Yeah.
1: I know. It's just the opposite now, right?
0: Yep. So if they couldn't afford the breast meat, they added beaten egg to the broth rather than meat from some other part of the chicken. Using meat from the thigh or leg of the chicken would have been okay to make the broth. But it would not have been okay to serve it because the meat, which was not as tasty as breast meat and not as easily flaked, would have been seen as disrespectful. You and know, I you mm, got to think yes.
1: that only the Italians, and I'm Italian, so I guess I can say this, would find a part of the chicken <laughs> to be disrespectful to serve. I mean, you know.
0: I don't know. I I wonder, though, if it's uh, disrespectful, like, all the time, or maybe just specifically for a funeral.
1: I think it's specifically for the funeral.
0: That would make sense, though. So, with that, uh, eggs had more status—and, you know, about the dark meat, eggs had more status than dark meat. The poorest of the poor, especially those relatives that were not next of kin— or you would prefer to have as not next of kin, would <laughs> offer the bereaved any food they had on hand, including pasta fazul, basically pasta and beans, which was better than nothing. It was assumed that since the family had experienced a death, they should be given food. Firstly, because they understood that if a family had to take care of a funeral, they would not have the time or energy to cook. Secondly, it was a way to show their love and support in a time of sorrow.
1: Because food
0: mm-hmm.
1: is always comforting.
0: Um. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. I always, I only. No, I just, I just remember with comfort. I just remember there were times when I would pig out on something, and it wasn't that I was enjoying it. It was, you know, look in hindsight, I see that now. Mm-hmm. it was more, I don't know, it was a, a breakup with a girlfriend or I did very poorly on a test when I could have done better, you know, some more emotional thing. And I took care of that emotion by uh, making, no, not a piggy of myself, but, by you know, making a pig of myself and just eating, trying to soothe that, um, that emotion. That
2: Yeah,
1: emo- uh, emotional eating. People yes. do emotional yes. drinking. People do emotional sleeping. I suppose you have emotional sex. I don't know. There's lots of ways to use things that
0: Im- yes. they're not intended
1: for for <laughs> comfort.
0: Oh, so true. Shall I go on? <clears throat> oh, that's right. I'll, I'll pick up from here. So, <laughs> so for that recipe. Please go to our webpage, not only for the recipe, but additional resources for this program. We hope you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Kindly remember to rate and review this podcast because, as a nonprofit, we are dependent on the kindness of strangers. We always appreciate your donations. Please go to our webpage to donate in support of our work at www.everyonedies.org. That's every The number one dies.org. Marianne, what's up?
1: Thanks, Charlie, for the recipe and your disclosure about your emotional eating. So, switch gears a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk, or I'm going to talk about uh, near death awareness. Uh, so, near-death awareness is a term to describe a dying person's experiences of the dying process, and so it just refers to the variety of experiences that people can have, like end-of-life dreams or end-of-life visions. Um, this awareness can include visions of past dead relatives or friends, religious figures, Um They might use visionary language pertaining to travel. I I used to always be very struck when patients would say, I've got to go, I've got to catch a train, I've got to go on a trip, I've got to get packing, you know, and we've talked in previous shows about, um, I think it was last week, about Uh, terminal agitation, people get agitated at the end of life. So I've seen this sort of near-death awareness interact with the agitation because it's like, I got to go. You know, they get very anxious because there's this trip coming up and they don't want to miss their flight or their car or whatever it is. Um, There's been research that has documented that these deathbed visions – typically result in people having a more peaceful death. So there might be those, you know, listeners who think, oh my God, they're talking about leaving or going on a train and you and you feel this urge to say, no, no, Dad, that's not what's happening. You know, you're you're here in the room with, you know, George and Frank and everybody else. And really that's not what what we want to do. We want, you know, Kind of walk that walk with them. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So um, the information comes primarily from antidotes and a few case studies that suggest about 50 to 60% of patients are going to experience some form of near death awareness prior to their death. So that's a Hmm. lot of people. I mean, that's, you know, pretty common. Um, The language that patients use to communicate near-death awareness may be symbolic, Um, and if you as the caretaker are not aware that the near-death awareness can occur, patients might be ignored, they might be treated in in a condescending manner, or inappropriately medicated because you think, oh my God, they're having delirium. So, family, friends, and also the healthcare practitioners themselves may respond with annoyance, frustration, or fear, and this in turn can cause isolation for the person who's dying, um, more suffering, and impair the dying person's ability to communicate meaningful experiences at the end of life. So, I want you guys to know about this so that you can engage in, you know, in a in a help helpful way. All right. So. There's So just take, let's take a minute and talk about the difference between near-death awareness and delirium. So, mm-hmm. um, And if you haven't listened to the show about delirium at the end of life, listen to the one that's right before this one. So in studies where they engage both patients and caregivers, near-death awareness emerges as a distinct difference from delirious states. In general, as opposed to hallucinations or delirium, near-death awareness occurs with a clear consciousness. They're they're reported with clarity, with detail, with organization, and they often have feelings of comfort rather than distress. It doesn't scare the dying person who's having them. It's like, oh, my mom is here, and that's comforting to them. And when they talk like that, I know, I mean, as as a hospice nurse, I've had that experience where it's like, okay, I don't see your mom here. But, you know, you don't want to say that or imply that. What you want to do is say, that must be so nice. How is she looking? You know, what, what does she have mm. anything to say? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. engage with that because it's not an hallucination. It's, I've heard some people call it sort of like that lifting of the veil or the parting of the curtain between the world that we know and this other world that we don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's what's going on, but walk the walk with the person who's experienced it. Now, there might be an impact of near-death awareness on existential distress. Near-death awareness also differs from deathbed hallucinations with respect to their impact on the patient's. Now, there was um, a study done in 2010 about deathbed phenomena that was published by Mazziano and Willette. And uh, we put the reference in the show notes. You can go look it up if you'd like to. Um, They found that near-death awareness tends to be spiritually transformative, while hallucinations tend to be relatively insignificant. In addition, deaths include include near death awareness are more frequently calm and peaceful than our deaths without such experiences near death awareness have been distinctly observed as to affect positively the quality of the dying process so what is this near death phenomena that i'm talking about here the recognition of near death awareness requires attentive listening Family, friends, and caregivers can help decipher near death awareness type messages. The content of the experience often will be based on cultural background, but several common um, experiences related to near death awareness have been described. So let me tell you about those. There's dreams which occur while people are asleep, and visions, which occur while people are awake. And they might feature comforting presence of the deceased, living loved ones, as well as unknown individuals, and are described by dying patients as having a high degree of um, vividness, recall, and reality. Now, when I was living in New Hampshire, I had a friend who um, told me this story, and the house behind her had a little boy and Uh let's call him Timmy um, who was dying and had died that day, a young kid, like nine years old. And um, at his funeral, the priest, the Catholic priest told the story that he went into the local hospital to do last rites on this older woman. And, The priest walked into the room and the older woman looked at, looked like to his left and said, Timmy, I'll be right with you. And the priest said, Oh no, you know, Mrs. Whoever. Um, uh, My name's not Timmy. Remember me? I'm father O'Malley. And the old woman looked at him and said, I know who you are father. I'm talking to the little boy right next to you. And the priest said, oh, okay, went and heard her confession, did her last rites, left, and had received a call that Timmy had died. And then he put two and two together and and he was like, whoa, but he told that story at the funeral. So that's an example of those visions. Things that we can't see, that they can see, and you know that there's no coincidence. She didn't know, Timmy, and the priest didn't know that he had even died. So you talk with any hospice nurse, and you will hear all kinds of stories like this. Um, I had a patient who, you know, in his bed, he had um, people around him, and sometimes the children will Children will come in, you know, see grandma and grandpa who are dying. And they'll right. say, well, who, who's that lady sitting with grandpa? And everybody's like, uh, there's nobody sitting with grandpa. But sometimes kids can see them. So um, these visions can occur near death with a time frame ranging from hours, days, weeks, or even months prior to the death. Um, the content are varied and often include previously dead family members pets, or currently dying individuals in the family. So um, these include communicating with or experiencing the presence of someone who is not alive, um, preparing for a travel or a change, uh, describing a place where they can be seen in another realm, like they can see heaven. um, I was reading one article where this this man was saying to his hospice nurse um I, I I can see heaven and she was trying to get him to describe it and he kept trying to describe it and cry, trying to describe it and he he didn't have the words to be mm, able okay. to describe it cuz wow. you know it's you know you, you know how you see something that you've never seen before and it's like what are the words to describe
0: it yes yeah, there's no words to describe got it okay. right
1: um, or that they know that they know when death will occur, and I've I've had that experience also. It's like, well, you know, um, I can do this, but you know, I won't be here tomorrow to do that. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You're doing fine. You know, I don't say these things. These are things I have a ongoing talk in my head. When I do, <laughs> and lo and behold, the next day they're dead, and it's like, geez, how would they know that? So what can you do to help? You're the family, you're the friends. What can you do to help? Well, the literature suggests that when someone is having a near-death awareness, that we should ask questions about the experience and accept their significance significant for the person who's dying. The person who's dying might fear judgment, ridicule, and embarrassment. And so they might not mention it because they don't want you to think that they're crazy or that they've lost it. Um, but specifically, what you can do is, you know, it's... it's have your hospice nurse, see you know, check, is there delirium? Is there something that appropriately needs to be changed or fixed um, so that you're not blaming uh, emotionality or spirituality, significant experience on delirium? Like we've talked, like, maybe they just have to go to the bathroom. Maybe they have to empty their bladder. And, um, you know, those the confusion can go away. You want to emphatically inscribe, Explore the meaning behind the near-death awareness, what they're saying that they see, and its impact on your loved one's psychosocial, emotional, or spiritual distress. Accept what they're saying. Validate what's being told to you. Don't challenge. Don't argue. Um, Talk about what's the meaning behind that near-death experience and the impact that it might have on the dying process. So, for example, if if your loved one says, you know, my my mom's here and we're going to go on a trip together, you know, sit and talk about the mom. Where Hmm. are you going? You know, how are you going to get there? Are you excited to go? Who do you think you're going to see when you're there? Yeah, don't get freaked out,
0: right. Okay.
1: Just, it's normal. This is normal. Right. Yeah. And if you treat it as something other than normal, then you're going to cause distrust for the person who's dying. So treat it as normal. Embrace it. It's a wonderful gift. And it's a wonderful experience that's in front of them. You know, it's this whole new thing. So embrace it. Do you have any questions yeah. about that, Charlie?
0: No, I've, I've, I've heard that before, you know, of situations like that before. I, I've never encountered one, but uh, I have in my life, you know, had people say that to me. And, um, you know, situations like that that they've gone through. And, and I, I do remember a couple were just like embarrassed and said, I know you think I'm an idiot and I'm crazy. And no, I wasn't drinking. And, you know, uh, just a couple just were embarrassed to to be saying that. Um, I said, listen, that's, you know, this is long before I started, you know, looking at, you know, death and dying differently, but it just, I don't know, something about it just made sense. And I, and I, I tell them it's, there's nothing to be embarrassed about or, you know, feel bad about or worry about what other people are going to think. It's at that moment when someone's dying, it's not about you. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, yeah. it is in a sense of, the, of their own grief. Yeah, yeah, so. but you know, in in that moment, we're there to help and support yeah. That's it. that person. Yeah. yeah, on their journey. It is. I guess it is. It, it is a journey.
0: Yes. Yeah. And with that, so uh, as Marianne mentioned, um, I have uh, some Italian proverbs and folk sayings on death and dying. And it's a treat for everyone, <laughs> or maybe it's more my ego. Um, I'm going to try to these in Italian, and then of course, really, in English. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
1: Yes. Well, you know, I, I gave them uh-huh. to Charlie uh-huh. in a, in Italian, and I said, "There's no pressure to say these in Italian." Because
0: she's torturing me, folks. All right, go ahead.
1: I live to torture you, because I can. I can really only swear in Italian. I, I really can't say sentences, so I'm interested in.
0: <laughs> are you are <laughs> see, see if I could top you. Okay, yeah, <laughs> for pronunciation. All right, let's give this a shot, shall we? Okay. Now, And I, a and I, and, um, um, couple of my um, students are Italian-Italian. Uh, so I, ha- <laughs> I had them uh, help me a little bit with this. And um, I don't know, they made some joke about sticking to English. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure something got... Lost in the translation when they were saying that to me. All right, so or here not. we go. Or not. We're uh, not. Yeah, probably not. In Italian, oggi in figura, domani in sepultura. Ooh. In English, thank you very much. It's very sexy, right? It
1: oggi is. In
0: figura, domani in sepultura, which in English means today in person, tomorrow in a grave.
1: It really sounds better in Italian, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what what doesn't sound better in Italian. So, yeah, that's yes. true. Yeah, la morte mi troverà vivo. Death will find me alive. <laughs> Dove c'è un testamento, c'è un parente. Where there is a will, meaning an inheritance, there is a relative. <laughs> yeah, I think that was pretty universal. So. I,
1: I think you should like remember these lines and just like if you're in a bar or something, just, you know, go up to a woman and say, they're not going to know, but it sounds great.
0: Yeah, and, and we'll have to be the Italian ambassador from the UN. I'm saying this too. All yeah, right, that'd be good so call security. La esperanza a la ultima a morir. No, wait, a morir? Morir? <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm butchering this anyways. La esperanza a la ultima a morir. Hope is the last thing to die. Mm, true, yes. huh? Mm. Oh, this one. Um, a tutto se riparo, menos a morti. Eh uh okay um yeah why don't we uh, just well for so that means there is a remedy for everything except death and idiocy <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of idiocy, how about if I just stop uh, the Italian and let me just move on in english
1: okay But I appreciate the effort.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Uh, Bad grass never dies, meaning basically bad people are the last to die, or the wicked live long and prosper.
1: Or only the good die young. Thank you, Billy
0: Joel. That you know what? That's I was just thinking. There's something that. Thank you. That's what I was just trying to remember. Thank you.
1: Okay. That's because because Mm -hmm. we have a mind meld. You know.
0: I thought it was because, because, because the wonderful Wizard of Oz. Because, but I guess not. He who lives with hope dies singing.
2: Mm.
0: Yes. Yeah. Next. Graves are filled with after the fact wisdom. Basically, hindsight is always 20-20 vision. Mm-hmm. Until we die, anything and everything can happen. True. Yep. Yeah. If death had a sense of decency, he would take the first ones first. Meaning, if death had a sense of decency, he would take the old people first and leave the young ones alone. Mm. Which uh, doesn't work that way.
1: Well, it's because you know. we're old and we don't want to go either.
0: Well, yeah. against love and death, there is no point in being strong, meaning it's useless to fight love and death because you ain't going to win.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And last, not least, but I'm sure everyone's happy this is the last one. One lives <laughs> and does not want to see more celebration than heaven, meaning... Even though heaven is supposed to be a great place and those who are there will celebrate one's arrival and no reservation is necessary, it's best to escape death and live it up on earth. Oompa! Oompa! And with that, that's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned for the continuing escapades of Everyone Dies. This is Charlie Navarette wondering if death becomes you.
1: And I'm Marian Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, don't serve the dark meat of the chicken at the funeral, Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm, and
1: mm -hmm. every day is a gift.
0: Ciao.
2: This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, Advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.